Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church, Texas. Amen. Well, I'm already tired of standing, so they brought me a chair. Every now and then you hear a story that seems a little bit too crazy to be true. There was a guy named Larry, and Larry, growing up, he had a childhood dream. Maybe you remember your childhood dream. Maybe you're a teenager or youth in here, and you have a dream of what you want to do one day. And Larry wanted to fly. Larry's like, I'm going to be a pilot. Well, he's like, actually, I just want to fly. And then he found out, I can't fly. People cannot fly. But I want to be a pilot. Larry signs up for the Air Force, and... He goes through the airports, he goes through his training, only to find out that he was going to be disqualified because Larry had bad eyesight. And that's not something you want to do when you're flying, right, is have bad bad eyesight. So he's devastated. He goes home. He's in his backyard one day, and he's sitting in his lawn chair, his really comfortable Sears lawn chair. And he's got a Miller Lite in his hand. And he's got a little snack, and he's looking at the jets overhead, and he starts to get this grand idea, you know what, maybe it's not all over for me. And he dubs this weather balloon strategy, um, and he gets 45 weather balloons, ties them to the chair, says, you know what, I'm going to go up about 50 feet over my backyard, I'm going to chill. He made some sandwiches, some turkey and cheese sandwiches, he got a six-pack of Miller Lite, he said, I'm just going to chill out. I'm going to get a little buzz, and I'm just going to have fun. I'm going to fly. No one's going to stop me. So his buddies come over because he's got the chair tied down, and he's got 45 weather balloons, and you'll know why in a minute why I didn't have weather balloons. I actually had two, but the helium didn't stay long enough. So here we are. And they cut the cords to the chair. And Larry went up 1,000 feet. 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, true story, 15,000 feet, Larry ended up 16,000 feet in the air, three miles in the air over Los Angeles. He's very cold, as a lot of you know, you lose three degrees of temperature for every thousand feet you go up, so he's lost about 45 degrees. He's got his shorts, he's got his polo on, now he's freezing, like he feels like his toes are about to melt off, he's looking at his hands, and he's like, you know what, I'm not even going to drink this beer, like I I need to have all of my uh, senses aware, like I don't know what I'm going to do. And one thing I forgot that he actually brought, he brought a pellet gun, he said, when I'm ready to come down, I'm going to shoot the balloons. And while he was 16,000 feet up, 14 hours into his journey, He's like, well, it's now or never. And he got his gun, and he shot the balloons one by one by one, and he started to rapidly descend over L.A. County. The people doing the radio at LAX saw the strange sight as a man in a lawn chair (laughs) spiraled towards L.A. The news came, the police came, Eventually, he lands in a Long Beach neighborhood, hits a fence, power goes out for 20 minutes. As he climbs to his rescue, he sees all the police all around him. 
He sees the news cameras all around him. He has no idea that he's been on TV for hours. <laughs> Shows up. The police come to him, handcuff him. Apparently, this is a felony. They handcuff him. <laughs> they, they lead him to the car. And a news reporter sticks a mic in his face. It says, Larry. Why? Why, why did you want to do this, Larry? Like, what was going through your mind? And Larry was chill like me and, and nonchalantly, he said, well, a man can't just sit around. A man can't just sit around. You know, when I hear that story, I'm a little bit provoked because I don't want us to be people who just stand around. I don't want us to be people that just sit around. God doesn't move through a lot of people that spend all their time on the couch. Not a lot. Every time I see God moving through somebody, he's moving through somebody who moves. He's moving through somebody that says yes to him. He's moving through somebody that will pray for him, that will stand in the gap for him. And I want Oaks Church to be someone that doesn't just stand around. It's not my calling to stand around. It's not my calling to live comfortable. It's not. Our calling is growth. Our calling is to expand the kingdom. If we're not moving things forward in our lifetime, then we're just standing around. See, when I read that verse in Ezekiel 22:30, like I said before, I just start to pray and I say, God, you can find someone in me. I'll stand in the gap. I don't always want to. Not many will do it. But I believe you will. There's a man named Smith Wigglesworth. Oh, some of you got real excited. The uh, other ones of you that had never heard of him, like, Wiggles, what? Smith Wigglesworth was a British man, lived in England. He was a plumber by trade. His wife was the preacher. They were Baptists. One day, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and everything changed for him, and he became the preacher. Thousands upon thousands of people were healed in his ministry. Thousands upon thousands of people were saved and led to the Lord in his ministry. Fourteen people were raised from the dead in his ministry, including his wife. His wife was in her mid-40s, had a tragic death. He goes upstairs to the room, prays for her, brings her back to life. They talk for two hours, and Mary was her name. Mary speaks to Smith. She's like, Smith, I love you, but I want to go back to heaven. Heaven's so much better than it is here. I want to go back to Jesus, Smith. And Smith let her go back, and her spirit left her body. Uh, Smith had a protege named Lester Sumrall, another great man. But when Lester was young, he came to Smith's Bradford, England home. He knocked on the door, and Smith answered. He's an old man by now. It's in World War II, near the end of it. He's in his early 80s, and he sees Lester and he opens the door, and he just glares at him. He's just glaring at Lester. And he looks at Lester. He said, what is that under your arm? And Lester's like, well, he's just a young man. He said, well, I got my umbrella in, under this arm, and I got my newspaper under this arm. And he looked at the arm with the newspaper. He said, you can't bring that in here. All that newspaper has is lies. And lies aren't permitted in my house. Only truth is permitted in my house. So you leave that out here. 
See, we wonder why the news can't be trusted. You know, China, the people in China laugh at us because they're like, of course you can't trust the news. Duh. Why do you expect to? And Lester sees the newspaper. Smith goes on. He's like, listen, Mussolini and Hitler are about to die and go to hell where they belong. The war is about, the war is about to end. Two months later, the war ended. Two months later, Mussolini and Hitler died. And Lester's like, man, I don't need this. Throws the newspaper in the bushes. Say, yes, sir, yes, sir. I'm ready to come in. Comes in the house. Another story of Smith Wigglesworth. One time he was sleeping. He's a widow. And he hears something rustling in the master bedroom, in his bedroom, and he has a chair. And he looks over to the chair, and he sees a figure in the chair. And it's Satan himself sitting in his chair looking at him. Smith turns, kind of groggy eyes, sees him. He says, oh, it's just you. Turns around, goes back to sleep. See, Smith was a man that said once, he said, because he's a great man of God. He's obviously somebody that God trusts. He said, God looks for availability over anointing. God can anoint anyone, but he won't make you available. See, the main decision Smith made in his life was to be available. See, there's a concept I heard of a number of years ago called the 15-minute revolution, and the concept is basically that I'm going to allow myself to be interrupted. Even though I have a calendar, even though I have a schedule, I'm going to be willing to be interrupted so that I can help those around me if a need comes up. Smith was available. Stand in the gap for those around you. Standing in the gap for those around you is not a seasonal call. It's not just for election years. It's a lifestyle calling. And all it takes is availability. But guess what? And you probably already know this. Standing in the gap is dangerous. And it's not popular. And people don't want to do it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, John says this, For whatever is born of God, that's you, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If you'll leave that verse up for a moment. I love that word overcome. It's mentioned twice in the scripture. It's the same word that was used to describe champions that fought in ancient Greece in the Roman Colosseum. And you've probably seen movies about it, you've probably read about it, you've heard about it, but it describes champions who were actually on the ground floor fighting and winning. And John said, when you become a believer, you're no longer a spectator. You're not in the stands watching the game with your nachos and your drinks, just having a good old time. You went from being a spectator to being on the ground floor where it's dangerous. And now you're fighting lions and bears, you're in dangerous competition, you got a target on your back. That's why when you receive salvation, we'll never tell you it only gets easier from here. In a way it does, because God is in you, and things are different, and being a Christian's a whole lot easier than not being a Christian. But there's a reason sometimes bad things happen to good people, because you're on earth. You're on earth. You're in a fallen earth. One month into me accepting the call of God in my life in ministry, 
and I became an intern for Pastor Droll. I was 18 years old, one month after my health failed. And I was playing sports, and I went knee-to-knee with a guy. And I shattered my kneecap, and nothing happened to him. I was so mad. I'm like, how's only one of us going to get the bad end of the deal? Go to the hospital, have numerous tests, MRIs, x-rays. They said, Brandon, you have tumors all throughout your knee. They're benign, but these tumors, one of the kinds, they travel, and they go to your lung. Brandon, if a tumor gets on your lung, we have to take your lung out. If a tumor goes to your second lung, you're dead. Why one month in? The Scribners have endured tragedy one month in. Because now I'm a target. Now I'm actually on the floor. Now you're actually on the floor doing something with your life. And a stressful life is also a purposeful life. And the hand of God is on you. And guess what? You're going to get a little wounded when you're fighting lions and bears. But you're also likely to be a legend. You're also likely to do something important with your life. It's like Paul said, we may get cast down, but we're not destroyed. We occasionally get knocked down, but we never get knocked out. Orson Welles, in the third man speech, he said this. He said, in Italy, for 30 years, under the Borgas, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed. But they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. Meanwhile, in Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did they produce? The cuckoo clock. That's it. Switzerland had a pretty easy time. But not much came out of Switzerland. Conflict, not comfort, is the catalyst for growth. So how can we be someone that stands in the gap and becomes someone that God can trust? Number one, prayer. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. Angel and I received a call yesterday with some disheartening news from someone that we're close to. And the immediate response was we wanted to cry. It was one of those times where you're like, I don't really know what to say. But you know what you do when you don't know what to say? You pray. Because prayer is not our last resort. It's our first response. Paul says it like this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 in the message. He says, in the same way, prayer is, here's the word of the year, essential in this ongoing warfare. So pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and your sisters. Keep your eyes open and keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. See, Brandon, I got all these kids around the house. They're, they're, they're toddlers, they're young, or they're old. You should see our schedule. Wake up earlier. 
If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. I hate being busy. I'm the king of not being busy. I'm the king of delegation. But you should see how much stuff I get done. I always know a guy. You need something done? Let me get my phone out and call somebody. If you only pray when you have a problem, you have a problem. And the problem is not your problem. The problem is you're not praying. Prayer is essential to our lives. There was a lady named Hattie in the 1850s. She was in a very famous family. She was in the, grew up in the most famous pastor family in the nation. Her dad was the most famous speaker in America, and that mantle eventually went to her brother Henry. But it was Hattie who had changed the course of American history. One day in 1851, it was a Sunday morning, Hattie was in a communion service at her family's church, and out of nowhere, she got a vision. She fell into a trance, not unlike what Peter did at Simon the Tanner's house. And in her vision, she saw a slave being beaten to death. It was all she could do to not cry and weep where she was. When service ended, she got her kids, they ran home, she skipped lunch, and she started writing down the vision. She ran out of paper, so she got brown grocery paper, started writing on that. Eventually, she finished, and she looked at what she'd written. She said, wow. She says, I didn't write this book. God wrote this book. I just wrote it down. About a year later, in January 1852, the book was about to be published. The publisher didn't think it would sell many copies. The book sold 3,000 copies the first day. It ran out of all the rest the second day. The book sold out, two, the second, third, and fourth printing sold out before they even had time to write a review for the book. The book was Uncle Tom's Cabin, and it ended up in almost every house in America, including the White House. One day she met President Abraham Lincoln. Abraham looked down at her and said, so you're the little lady who started this war. Never underestimate the power of a single prayer. I love what Pastor Louis Giglio says. He said, if we could see what happens when we pray, we would never cease to pray. If you could actually see what all goes on around you when you do pray, you'd never stop. So often we don't have a lot of patience. We don't see an instant result. We put two minutes on the microwave and our prayer didn't come out answered and we stopped praying. You know, Daniel prayed one time, didn't see anything, kept praying for 21 days, and then his response came. An angel came to him and said, I've been on the way the whole time, but I had resistance. I came the second you prayed. Prayer is not our last resort, it's our first response. The second way that you can become someone that God can trust is example. The world is changed by your example, not your opinion. The world is changed by the reality of who you are, not your latest Facebook post. It's not about our opinion. It's about our example. See, you'll see way more opinions than you will examples. You will. Norman Vincent Peale said, nothing is more confusing than people who give good advice but set a bad example. 
On the other hand, I would say this is true. Nothing is more convincing than someone who gives good advice and sets a good example. See, not many people in my life have set a better example for me than my parents, Marvin and Bonnie Cox. And they haven't set a perfect example, but they've set a great example. You know, as parents in the room, more is caught than taught. So many times it's do as I say, but it really should be do as I do. Example, they're watching how you behave, not just what you say. See, too often the people in our life that know us the most respect us the least. My aim, my aim is that the people who know me the best will respect me the most. See, my greatest compliment is when Angel says to me in a room full of people that Brandon's the same person on the stage and off the stage. It's not two people. It's just one person. What do the people who know you the best say about you? Well, Brandon, it only matters what God says about me. That matters. Perception always also matters. The example you're setting also matters. See, leadership is hearing a voice in your head that says somebody should do something about that. But being a leader is hearing a voice from your heart say, that somebody should be me. I'm gonna be the change that's needed. It's not about your opinion, but your example. Two more, number three, perspective. You can't be negative and live a positive life. There was a uh, man from Colorado. Anybody from Colorado in here? Be proud. All right, anybody? Wow, like only nobody. Uh, anybody from Texas in here? Okay, cool. There's a man from Colorado, and he moved down to Texas and got a pretty big house, moved on some ranch land. He had a big picture window in his house, and he could see thousands upon thousands of miles. Oh, not thousands of miles. Here I am doing a preacher stretch. He could see miles of empty land. Somebody asked him, hey, how do you like your view? He's like, well, the problem is <laughs> there is no view. There's nothing to see. A man at the same time moved from Texas to Colorado. He also had a great picture window in his house. Somebody asked him, hey, how's the view in your house? He said, well, the problem is I can't see anything because all these great Rockies are in the way. What people see is influenced by who you are. Who you are determines what you see. If you're a positive person, guess what? You're going to have a positive outlook. I bet good things happen to you more than bad things. I don't remember many bad days because I'm just a positive person. And even if stuff happens in my day that I don't want to happen, I'm like, oh, that was a good day. But if you're a negative person and you complain more than you don't complain and you find a reason to say something about everything and you say, why does all this always happen to me? Well, there it is. Came right out of your mouth. See, you can't live right if you don't think right. Perspective is important. God doesn't call negative people. Find me one consistently negative person that God used. I'm thinking of Jonah, he was pretty negative. Um, he can still use people, but like you, he prefers a positive person. I guess nobody else was available. 
But Jonah, you said them? I don't want to go to them. They're horrible. See, I don't believe in positive thinking as a replacement for God, but as a response to God. Positive thinking is not evil. It's not pure self-help. In fact, you'll see the opposite in Scripture. It's not offensive to God. It's obedience to him. The shortest verse in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, says rejoice always. When I'm positive, I'm rejoicing. I'm someone that God can use. Your positive biblical perspective will change the world around you. And we can be positive because we have Jesus and we have the victory. Let me add a point real quick. I don't have any notes for this, so it won't be long. Number four, and this hit me during worship, and I'm like, wow, how did I miss the most easy point? Obedience. You gotta be an obedient person if you're gonna be someone that God can trust. Somebody that says yes to him. See, God calls me to do things that are uncomfortable for me, that are not easy for me. You know, I don't love it most of the time, to be honest with you. Um, but I gotta be obedient to him. Because I'm not gonna be at the end of my life thinking, man, what would, what would have happened if I just would have said yes? See, the things at the end of your life that you're gonna regret are not the things you did, but the things that you didn't do. You gotta be obedient to God. The last point is be you. God did not anoint you to be someone else. He's not interested in you imitating somebody that you're not even that like. It's like Oscar Wilde said, he said, be yourself, everybody else is already taken. Let me give you uh, an example from scripture, Ephesians 1.1, and I'll break it down. It's Paul writing, he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful to Jesus Christ. Now, media team, if you can please lead this up, let me break it down. Paul is saying, Paul, this is who I am. An apostle, this is what I do. Of Jesus Christ, this is who I do it for. By the will of God, this is my authority. To the saints who are in Ephesus, this is my audience. And in one simple sentence, he explains the entire sphere of his grace. He knows who he is and what he's supposed to do. What if we grew in the same way? You knew who you were, you knew why you did it, you knew who it was for, and you know exactly what God has called you to do. See, it's been said that each of us have our own unique fingerprint. And as you look at your hand, nobody else has your lines, your grooves, the exact pigment of your skin. Nobody else in the world has your unique fingerprint, but the opposite has also been said at times that your voice is the same. No one in the world has your unique voice. Nobody else has it. Nobody can leave the imprint of your life on somebody like you can. Nobody can speak into someone's life like you can. And if you're not doing it, then it's not getting done. You have a voice. What are you doing with it? Are you encouraging people? Or are you discouraging them? Are you building people up? Or are you tearing them down? Are you speaking in confidence? Or are you speechless in doubt? Are you praying in faith? Or are you speechless in fear? 
The fact is, God will use your voice if you open your mouth. See, a lot of times, and I'll close with this, I think we feel like Elijah. And I was reading this this morning, Elijah over and over and over. Well, let me just tell the story. He's running for his life from King um, Ahab and Queen Jezebel. He's exhausted. He's scared. He's frustrated. He runs. He prays to God. God said, hey, I want you to go to this mountain. Travels 40 days, ends up at this mountain. God said, what are you doing here? Says the same thing he said 40 days ago. And that's when God shows up, starts to speak to him. But he wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the wind. But then a still, small voice came. And the Lord spoke to Elijah. Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah starts to complain. He said, God, I'm on the run. I'm the only one left. So dramatic. Elijah is one of the most dramatic people in scripture. And God speaks to him. He said, you're not the only one. He said, there's 7,000 people just like you in Israel. You might be the most famous one, but you're not the only one. Guess what? You're not the only one. As you stand in the gap, as you become someone that God can trust, you're not the only one. People will come around you, surround you, walk with you, walk by faith with you. The question is not just, do you trust God? You gotta be people that take a step beyond that. Can God trust you? Can he trust you? See, I think that's our challenge today, is for us to say yes. For us to say yes today, for us to say yes on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, every day, that we're saying yes to God. And if you keep saying yes to God, he'll use you in ways that you never imagined, that you never thought of, that you never dreamed of, and you'll have a life that's far better than what you ever dreamed of. Because he can do immeasurably more than I've ever thought of, dreamed of, prayed for, or asked for. But we gotta be people that God can trust, amen? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we wanna invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.